You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. All right, so we're going through 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We've finished 1 Peter. We're, we're into 2 Peter now, and uh, we're going to continue with that this morning. Um, we're talking about our living hope, which is Jesus. And so if you want to turn with me to 2 Peter 1, uh, we're going to be reading from verses 5 to 11 this morning. So 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11. Let's read through it. He's talking to uh, the Christian churches, right? And he's saying, he says to them, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, just as this passage ends with your name, Lord God, we want to begin with looking to you and with thankfulness, with humble hearts, with repentant hearts, Lord God, acknowledging that this is all for you. This is all because of you, Lord God. And so as we study your word, Jesus, I pray that, that your spirit would, would move in our hearts, Lord God, to change us, to mold us, and, and to, to draw us closer to you this morning, Lord God. I thank you that you are building this church, and I pray that um, this would just be another building block in that, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in the last year, um, the schedule in our house kind of works out that it's kind of my job on school days to make breakfast for our two boys, Liam and Elliot. Um, they both go to school now, so we get up in the morning, we quickly have breakfast, get them dressed, get them ready, right, and send them off to school. My wife takes them to school. So it's my job to make them breakfast. And um, one day, you know, about a couple months ago, as I watched them eating their Eggo waffles soaked in Aunt Jemima, I realized something, I had this revelation, that I haven't been feeding my kids very well. Um, Upon thinking about it a little more, I realized that the previous four to five months of of mornings before school had consisted of either sugary cereal, waffles with syrup, or toast with Nutella, or peanut butter. So So, you know, I had this revelation that the my boys are definitely not getting the proper nutrients and vitamins that they need to, to continue to, to continue growing and to keep them healthy and to keep them functioning well. So in that moment, I decided to be a better dad. That very day, I headed out to the drugstore and I purchased these beauties right here. Disney's Monsters, Inc. Multivitamins. It even says on the back, all the doctors are like, no. Multivitamin and mineral supplements are a factor in the maintenance of good health for adults and children. 
So yes, I have uh, had a few of these as well. They taste like candy. Um, but the point is, is that now I can rest easy in knowing that along with their ego waffles soaked in syrup, my boys are still getting the vitamins and mineral supplements that they need. No? All right. Um, I'm going to believe that. Uh, but seriously, though, this is, this is the Apostle Peter's concern in the passage this morning. He's looking at the spiritual diet of these Christians that he's talking to, and he's calling for them to get healthier, to supplement their faith with the proper nutrients so that they don't, first of all, forget what they've been given in Christ, and secondly, so that they can continue to grow and be fruitful in their relationship with God. But fortunately, he doesn't just give them Disney multivitamins to chew on because obviously they're not enough, right? That probably would have been much easier. This is why I did it. Instead, he writes them a list of Christ-like qualities that they can and should start integrating or supplementing into their lives. What... And what I mean by saying that they can start integrating them and supplementing them into their lives is because of what he's written in the previous passage. You may have noticed that this morning's passage started with the words, for this very reason, right? For this very reason, supplement your faith. So what reason were they given before? Well, if you're here a couple of weeks ago when we went through verses 1 to 4, you might remember, but I'll summarize it for you this morning. The reason that we're given is that through the grace of Jesus Christ, right, because of his salvation, because of what he did, that all who believe in his name have now been given forgiveness of sins. We've been given peace with God so we can know God and be in relationship with him. We've become partakers of God's divine nature. In other words, we've been empowered by his Holy Spirit, right? We get to take part in what God is doing now. And finally, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. That's what it says. We've been given everything we need through Jesus for life and godliness. In other words, we don't need to run to the drugstore to purchase these supplements that Peter's listing here. Instead, Jesus lived perfectly. He died sacrificially and rose victoriously from the grave to purchase them for us. Through him, we can live the life we were created to live. For this reason, Peter says, start taking them. Start living them out. I'm emphasizing this fact because too often, I think, when we read through task lists like this, we, we have two false views. The first, the first view is that we think they're just suggestions and that we don't need, and that they don't really matter. It's like, well, I could do them or not do them. It doesn't matter. I'm still saved. It doesn't matter what happens. God loves me anyways. But the second and more common thing is when we start reading these lists, we think that there's some sort of legalistic or religious checklist, right, that we have to accomplish in order to get to heaven or make God like us. Or, or we, we do this list and then we get self-righteous and we're like, see, God, I did this list. Now you owe me. Right. We start getting that attitude like a Pharisee or whatever. But, but neither of these viewpoints are correct. So I want to I want to make sure we're on the same page before we move forward and talking about this list so that we're, we're on the right page. We have to remember Right? For this reason, you can do this list. Right? This passage is talking to Christians 
who have already been saved. So this isn't about earning our salvation. It's not about earning God's reward. It's about living it out. It's about living it out. And yes, we have to make an effort in, in living it out. But that's, that's what this is about. And at, and at the end of verse 11, you might argue, well, at the, at verse 11 says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so you might argue, well, isn't he saying that if we live this list, then, then that's how we get into heaven? That's, that's how we're richly provided an entrance into the kingdom? But in context of, of Second Peter, in context of the New Testament, in context of the Bible, that is not what it means. It doesn't mean that following this list gets you into the kingdom of God. It means that the way we were saved into the kingdom, how were we saved into the kingdom? Through the grace of Jesus Christ, through his righteousness covering us, that way we were saved is the way that we're called to live. That's what it's saying here. The way we were saved is the way that we are called to live. That's why people in the early church were called followers of the way. They weren't called Christians until, until the church in Antioch. They were called followers of the way. Because being saved by Jesus isn't just about getting a ticket into heaven. It's about being made new. It's a complete life change. It's about being made holy. And ultimately, it's about growing and our dependence and relationship with God. Like a baby to his or her mother, right? Growing in dependence and relationship with God. That's what it's about. So Peter's explaining that since, since we've been freely saved and filled with the Spirit of Christ, for that reason, we have the, the ability to start living that way. Not just the calling, but the ability to start living that way. It's who we are, so it's how we can and should live. So according to him, this is how we do it. This is how we'll, how we'll grow. This is how we get healthier and mature as Christians by supplementing our faith with these qualities. Let's read them again. Verses 5 to 7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And the way he wrote this list, I believe, is, is purposeful because the first quality relies on the quality after it in order to, in order to make that quality possible, right? Virtue relies on knowledge. Knowledge relies on self-control. Self-control relies on steadfastness. On and on. So a quick summary of these seven qualities that we're called to supplement our faith with. We're going to just go through them really quick. Number one, virtue. Virtue, which means moral goodness and, and integrity. Right? We live in a morally ambiguous culture. Right? And so we're called as Christians to have virtue. To not be morally ambiguous, right? More specifically, we're called to live according to God's design. To who he's called us to be and created us to be. Which means that we won't know how to be moral or virtuous if we don't know what's right and what isn't, right? Which means we need, second quality, knowledge. We need knowledge. Knowledge, we talked about knowledge a couple weeks ago, right? To know God and to know about him. The Bible is our primary source in that regard, right? And to know him and to know who he is, 
will cause us to desire to be like him, will cause us to desire to be obedient to him. But again, to spend time to know him and live like him takes number three, the third quality, takes self-control, right? Self-control, this means to be able to live according to the desires and will of God, right? To be controlled and led by the spirit of God rather than ourselves, right? To seek his glory over ours, right? Rather than, than allow our emotions or our fleeting desires to control us, right? To have self-control means to be led by God, And to have self-control then, obviously we need number four, fourth quality listed here. We need steadfastness. We need to supplement our self-control with steadfastness, which means to persevere and stay on course even in the midst of difficult or tempting circumstances. And we talked about that like a lot in 1 Peter, right? To persevere. But of course, in order to remain steadfast, then we also need to be number five having the character of godliness godliness which means like jesus we're we're called to continually be devout in seeking the lord to be devout in prayer and and reading the word and seeking god in every moment that's godliness this is significant because it's only through him that we can have the strength and resolve to, do, to live out the previous listed qualities. If we're not seeking God and we're not, we're not standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we can't be steadfast, we won't have self-control, we won't have knowledge of who he is, and we won't be moral. So we need godliness. And with that being said, one of the greatest forms of godliness and Christ-likeness that will keep our eyes off of ourselves and rather forcing us to draw on God's strength, is number six, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, which means to build one another up and carry each other's burdens. But of course, we're unable to do that or anything else unless it's all rooted in the seventh quality mentioned here and final quality, love. Love. The greatest of these is love, right? And love in the kingdom of God never ends, never quits, never gives up. Right? Love never ends. It's not just for weddings. It's just for marriages. This is about God's love for us. In fact, because of God's great love for us, Jesus died for us. Right? So love is eternal. Love is sacrificial. It's the foundation for who we're called to be. So those are all the qualities that we're, that we're called to supplement with our faith. Right? Sounds simple enough. Right? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Right? Easy. Not really. Not really. I don't know about all of you, but every time I read through this list, I realize how far away I am from truly living all those qualities out in my life. I realize how impossible it is to live that way. If it was possible, we wouldn't need Jesus to live that way for us, which he did, thank God. This list is impossible for us to live out in our own strength, but that's part of the message here. As Christians, we're called and empowered to live the impossible life. And then as we start living it, and as we start growing in it, Peter notes that we'll benefit greatly. And that is, after all, the point of taking supplements, right? For their benefits, for their, for their value. As it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, it says, Rather, train yourself for godliness. That's what we're talking about here. Train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So that being said, if we start to integrate these these godly qualities into our lives more and more, it's fair to ask, what value do they have? How How will they benefit us? Well, we can clearly see four ways in the passage this morning. We're going to go through those four ways. So if we supplement our faith with these qualities, number one, what's going to happen is we'll grow in our relationship with God. We'll grow in our relationship with God. Again, God calls us to do things that are impossible for us in our own strength so that the only option that we have left is to draw on and depend on the one who makes it possible. Which reminds me of uh, the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. Some of you might have heard this story before. Gideon himself, he's this scared farmer, right? He's hiding. He was, he was uh, the lowest regarded family member in his family. And his family was in the lowest regarded clan in all of Israel. And God chooses him, basically the lowest person in all of Israel. God chooses him to save his people from the oppression of the Midianites and the Malachites who had been for seven years stealing their crops, killing their livestock, not leaving anything alive, probably including humans, right? According to their history, the Amalekites were known for raping and selling women into slavery. So this was happening for seven years, and God chooses Gideon to save his people. And not only did God choose Gideon, who, who doubted both himself and God, when God shows up and says, Gideon, I'm going, to save, I'm going to save you all, and I'm going to use you. Gideon's like, wait a minute, where have you been, God? I'm doubting your faithfulness right now. And then Gideon's like, I'm also doubting myself. I'm the lowest. So God chose Gideon, who doubted both himself and God. But not only that, but he told Gideon to reduce his army of 20,000 plus soldiers to reduce it down to 300 in order to accomplish this task. God's like, there's too many soldiers. Reduce them down to 300. Now you can go and do what I've called you to do. So the, the call to defeat Midian was already an impossible task, or else they would have already done it. right? And even made more impossible, because Gideon was a nobody. He was a farmer, not a war chief. And because he only had 300 soldiers at his disposal against over 100,000 But again, God calls us into the impossible so that all we can do, the only choice that we have, is to draw on him. It's the same as when sometimes, you know, he'll humble us or we'll go through trials where, where our pride is crushed and, and, we, and we can't rely on ourselves anymore and all we can do is trust on God. Jesus declares in Mark 27 in a response to a man who asks, then who can be saved? You know, if salvation is impossible, then who can be saved? And Jesus says to him, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Gideon had no choice in that moment, right, to, in, in, in that call 
He had no choice but to turn his eyes away from his own strengths, whatever they were. He had no choice but to turn his eyes away from his fear, away from his doubt, away from his shortcomings that would have prevented everyone else from doing what he was called to do. The only choice he had was to completely trust in God. And as he did, God made it happen. God came through. God saved his people. So in regards to the passage this morning, as we read this impossible list, we need to realize that one of the reasons we're called to live out this impossible list, to be set apart in holiness, is primarily so that it causes us to draw on God who can make it possible. The Apostle Paul confesses in Colossians 1.29, he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard How does he work and struggle so hard? He says, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. The Apostle Paul wonder why, how come he's so close to God? How come God's moving through him all the time? How come come God's doing such amazing things? How come he's so satisfied when he has has little, right? And and he's he's being beaten. How How can he be so strong and steadfast in the Lord? Because he lives in such a way that can only be accomplished through Christ working in him. That's how we're called to live. And the more we strive to live this way, then the more we'll need God's power. And the more we need God, the closer to God we'll become in both knowledge and relationship. We'll grow in our relationship with God the more that we surrender to him and live our lives in a way that requires him. We need him to supernaturally change our hearts and empower us to live this life. And that's his point. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. That's what this is about. As we supplement our faith with these qualities, we're committing everything we do to the Lord. And he'll show up. On that note, I want to say that if, that if you're Christian, but you're feeling distant, distant from God, you're not feeling God moving in your life, we all go through seasons where that's happening. Maybe ask yourself this. Ask yourself this question. Are you striving to live this impossible life that requires God, that requires his strength, that requires his presence, that requires his power to move in you? Are you sacrificially loving others? Are you serving the poor? Are you carrying one another's burdens? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you growing in your knowledge of the word? Are you living self-controlled and moral lives according to the Bible? Or are you living a life that you're, that's similar to your non-Christian neighbor? A life that's just easily supported by, by your own strength, by your own resources, by your own finances, by your own logic, a life that's just guided by your own desires and wants. Because if that's the case, no wonder you feel distant from God. You're living your life in a way that doesn't require God. Right? If that's the case, you're you're leaving him out. Verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
we often forget about God when we don't need him, right? When we think we don't need him. That's why in, in prosperous societies is when atheism kind of goes on the rise. Or when in the Old Testament, you look, when, when, when Israelites are prospering, they forget about God and they turn away from him. If we're not striving to live this impossible life, if we don't live our life in a way that requires God to move in our hearts, then of course we'll eventually lose sight of him. And this is the place where things like sin and and doubt and rebellion and pride and self-reliance kick in and, and take hold. But if you want to get deeper with God again, then stop supplementing your lives with sin. Stop supplementing your lives with half-truths that sound nice and, and fluffy. Stop supplementing your lives with easy living that doesn't require any faith or self-control. And when I say easy living, I don't mean that life's going to be going easy for you apart from God. I mean, like, say, a scenario where someone hurts you, and the easy thing to do, the natural thing to do, is to lash out at them, to get angry at them and harbor bitterness, right? The hard thing to do is to forgive them and have grace for them. And we need the power of God to do that. That's what I mean by easy living. It doesn't require faith or self-control. If you want to get deeper with God, start supplementing your lives with these qualities that are listed here. Start living in a way in which you need God and in a way in which you need His Spirit to move in you. And what you'll find is that He will. He will. He'll be there to work in you. He'll be there to lift you up. And believe me, I know he will. I wouldn't be standing here right now if that wasn't true. The more we step into a life of dependence, the deeper our relationship with him will become. Start supplementing our lives with these qualities and you'll find that's true. That's the first benefit. Second benefit. I won't spend as much time on the next benefits. That was the important one. Second benefit is we'll be fruitful. For supplementing our lives with these qualities, we'll be fruitful. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A tree can't bear fruit, healthy fruit, if it's not healthy right, itself, right? If it's starving for water, if it's not in good soil, it's not going to bear healthy fruit. Same with us. If we're not supplementing our faith with a healthy diet of Christ-like qualities, we won't bear fruit. Or healthy fruit, at least. But if we are, then we'll bear much fruit. Whatever that fruit will be, right? Jesus will be glorified in our lives. People will come to know him, will grow spiritually. Others will be blessed and and more. Whatever fruit that is, it will be evident that Christ is at work in our hearts. Which leads us to the next benefit. Number three, living out these qualities confirms who we are. Confirms who we are. Verse 10, therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So how do we confirm our calling and election? How do we confirm who we are in Christ? How do we know that Christ is actually living and working in us? By living this impossible life. That's how we know. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. So they say, right? Both our heartfelt desire and especially our ability to live out these qualities 
is a way that we continually prove and confirm that the power of God is at work in us. And we not only prove it to others, but we prove it to ourselves over and over again. And we're not going to live it out perfectly. That's not, that's not the point here. We're, we're, we still struggle with sin. We still sin sometimes. But Christ is quick to forgive. We're not going to live it out perfectly, but Peter is calling all Christians here to test what we've been given in Christ. He's saying, you've been given everything you need. Now confirm it. Try it out. Grow in it. Live it. And the more that we do increase and grow in these qualities, the greater and more undeniable the evidence will be. There's a few times in the New Testament uh, where, where someone is described by, by whoever's writing the, the book or whatever, is just someone is described specifically as being filled with the Spirit or, or filled with faith or something like that. Barnabas, actually, who we talked about last week when we were talking about encouragement, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's described as both of those things, as being filled with the Spirit and of great faith. And they're described that way because the proof of their calling and election in Christ is obvious in the way that they live and in the way that they love and in the way that they give. And Peter's calling all of us, every Christian here, to get to that place. That place where others describe us as being full of the Spirit and full of faith. That place where it's incredibly obvious to everyone that our life is not our own. That we're filled with the life of Christ. As we live out these qualities, we'll get to that place. Our calling and election will be confirmed over and over again. Which leads us to the last benefit that we see here, number four. As we supplement our faith with these qualities, we become greater representations of our citizenship. Verse 11 again says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I was talking to this this, uh, lady that I met. um, I was talking to her the other day, and, and halfway through a conversation she told me, that, she, that she'd only been living in Canada for five years and that she was actually originally from England. And that took me by surprise because she didn't have a British accent at all. Like, at all. She's only been here for five years. In fact, she sounded Canadian. And um, so I mentioned that to her, and it's kind of funny that upon that becoming a topic of our conversation, her accent started to slowly shift, and, and she started to talk in the British accent again, like her brain had been woken up to who she was, where her citizenship was. And my point, though, is that, is that people in our lives, our family, our friends, our coworkers, and our neighbors, they shouldn't be surprised that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. They shouldn't be surprised that we're Christian. Right? Because through Jesus, we have become citizens of the kingdom. That's our home. Right? We're strangers and aliens in this land. Our home is the kingdom. And it should be clear to the world who we are. It should be steel, sealed and stamped in our words, our actions, and our lifestyles, like the name of our country on our passports. 
Because again, the way we've been given access to the kingdom is the way we're called to live. The righteous live in the kingdom. We should be living in righteousness. So the more we supplement our faith with these qualities, again, the more we'll grow and mature and be sanctified in this. The more we surrender and glorify Jesus with our lives, the more like him we'll become. The more we'll look like the citizens of the kingdom of God that we belong to. So to sum it all up, as we start or continue, hopefully it's continued to supplement our faith, but even if we just start to supplement our faith with these qualities, we'll grow in our relationship and dependence on God because it's only by his power that we can do these things, right? We'll be fruitful in our calling as Christians. We'll prove, our, prove and confirm our calling. And finally, we'll grow in the image of Christ. Those are some pretty sweet benefits of supplementing our faith with these qualities. So if you're wondering why those things aren't happening, it's probably because you're not doing this. I was having a, a conversation with a pastor friend of mine a couple months ago, and, and I mentioned to him, you know, as Blair mentioned earlier, that, that our budget in regards to, to offering and tithing is, is, is a little lower than it should be. And... Um, I mentioned that to him, and I was kind of probably whining about it or worried about it or whatever. And he said something that surprised me. I expected him to be like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, I've been through that to you, blah, blah, blah. But he said something completely opposite. He said, well, let's be honest. That's the best place to be in ministry. And I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? And he continued, well, he's a holier man than me, obviously. And he continued... Well, since you can't put your security in your finances, which a lot of churches, churches end up doing if they have lots of money flying around, they put all their security in their finances, they buy whatever they need. And he's like, since you can't do that, that means you have no choice but to fully rely on and depend on God for this ministry to succeed. And I was like, he's right. The best place to be whether with little or with much, whether in, whether in hard times or good times, whether, whether in great adventures of faith or in, in the everyday moments of life, the best place to be is in the arms of God. The best place to be is in total dependence and utter need of God. The problem is that, 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 we're, that we're stupid sinners that, that always like to make everything about ourselves, right? But when we're in a place where we can't rely on ourselves, where we can't rely on others, where we can't rely on other things, when we're in that impossible situation, all we can do is look to the one who makes it possible. And that's what God wants. He wants us to live the impossible life so that we can know him and grow in him and look to him and rely on him and seek him. That's why we've been called to this, this impossible standard, this impossible faith, because it forces us to come to an end of our own resources and find that the only way to live this life is through his power alone. And because we've been given that power through Jesus Christ, we can live it. 
Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you. So I want to ask you this morning, is that happening in your life? When it says, for it is God who works in you, does that describe you? Does that describe the way you live your life? Is God working in our lives? So the obvious challenge for all of us this morning is to start allowing God to work in us or to work in us in a greater way if he is, to continue to grow in this, to start or continue living a life that you cannot or would do naturally, to live a life, again, that, that, that your non-Christian coworker or friend or neighbor would never be able to live. That's the life we're called to live, to live the impossible life in the way we give, in the way we love our neighbor, in the way we have patience and forgiveness with others instead of lashing out in anger or retaliation, in the way we humbly choose to serve others over and instead of ourselves, in the way we worship with our full heart, soul, mind, and strength, and especially for the worship band, not relying on, on your skill, but relying on the Spirit leading you into worship, right? In the way we pray and seek out God's will, and the way we parent our children, with grace in the way we rejoice and cry with others in the way we resist temptation and cling to what is good that's the impossible life that we are called to let's start living this impossible life because with God it's more than possible it's already who we are in Christ amen let's pray heavenly father we come to you this morning with, with a revelation, Lord God, that, that you haven't, didn't just send Jesus to save us, Lord God, but you sent Jesus to change us, to help us live the, the, this life that you've created us to live, Lord, a life that, that, that was distorted and wrecked by sin, by the brokenness of this world, Lord God, but you've restored us. You are restoring us. Lord God, to live this life. And so I pray that you would just light a fire in, in, in everyone's heart this morning to seek out that life, to start supplementing our, our faith, the faith that you've given us, Lord God, with these, with these qualities that, that, that you've also given us, Lord. And Lord, as we, as we start doing that, Lord, I pray that we don't, we don't start trying to live these qualities out just to... to as a form of self-righteousness or a form of you know, checking off a list of things to do, Lord God, but that, but that we would surrender to you, Lord God, that we would start living this life in response to what you've, you've done for us, Lord God, and because of what you've given us, because you've made us able to live this life, Lord. You've made this impossible life possible. Lord, I, I pray that you would just break down any walls of apathy that we have from living this life. Lord God, for those this morning that, that, that are feeling distant from you, I pray that you would draw them into your presence, draw them in, into a dependence in you, Lord, so that they would, they would come to know you and become closer to you again, Lord. I pray for those who are living this life, Lord, that they would grow in it, that they would increase in, in, in this impossible life, Lord. And as we live it, that you would be glorified through it, Lord God, that there would be much fruit. That we would prove to the world that you are alive and working in our hearts, Lord God.
And that not only our lives would be changed, but others' lives would be changed as well, Lord God. That we would advance your kingdom. That we would display your kingdom as lights to the world, as a city on a hill, Lord. Jesus, you have made the impossible possible. How could we not want to live that life? Thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.